Amen. Thank you. Good morning, church. Great to be here with you today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor. If this is your first time here today, uh, thank you for coming and worshiping uh, with us this morning. Thank you. I nixed the uh, bumper this morning. We generally have a little video, and so I threw everybody off this morning. That's all right. Guys, it's great to be here with you. It's great to worship together. God is good. He is faithful. If you have a Bible with you today, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. Uh, we're in a series called Baggage. And if you're like me uh, and you're an overpacker, I've got a trip literally that I leave for tomorrow. And there's a great tendency that I will have way too many things in that suitcase by the time I'm leaving. And, you know, you know how it is when you're kind of, you know, coming down the stairs with your suitcase and the wheels clunk to the, you know, because you, you know how it goes, right? You get that suitcase in your car and you get there and you use half of what you've actually packed. And typically what happens, uh, in addition to our overpacking tendencies as it pertains to uh, actual items that you put in a bag... We tend to carry a lot more with us emotionally and spiritually than we really are designed to. We have carry-ons for everything. And so we end up carrying with us fear and anger and bitterness, despair, hopelessness, hurts and pains. How often do we carry with us the words that someone has spoken to you or words that someone never spoke to you? And rather than leaving that thing at baggage claim, we carry that bag with us every place that we go. Not realizing that you're carrying way too much. You're not traveling light the way that God has designed you to. And so for the summer, we have been in Psalm 23, the most, the famous, the most famous, uh, arguably the most famous passage in all the Bible. It's the one that people request in the hospital. It's the ones that people request or that people are looking for, that they, they have put on wall art and they hang. It's, it's on screensavers. It's on T-shirts. It's on, it's on. It's on everything. That in John 3.16. But rather than just assuming that we really get it, we want to drive the word deeper into our hearts, build a greater foundation upon Jesus Christ, the true rock, and really understand what the psalmist is writing so that you might and I might really live more fully for Jesus, even heading into not only the summer but into the The fall. So we've done a deep dive, and that's what we're going to continue with. Psalm 23, everyone, I know you just sat down, but can we please stand back up this morning? We're going to read Psalm 23. I'm going to read it from my actual Bible this morning. There may be a word or two that's different than yours, but I'd love for you to repeat uh, this with me. This is how people would have read the Bible if we were reading this 2,000 years ago in synagogue. You'd stand for the reading of the word. We don't do it every week, but we're doing it for this series, which is fun. I know it's just the, uh, yes, Psalm 23, verse 1. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. 
He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can have a seat. Each week we've broken a piece down and really begun to apply it to our lives in, in a unique way. It doesn't matter if you're in high school today, which, by the way, our high, our, our, our high schoolers went to a rodeo last night, which I heard was pretty boss. It's right. Some of them, you know, felt a life calling to the rodeo afterwards, and some of them said, I'm never going back, right? Yes. <laughs> I see everybody. Mm, that's right. Praise God, right? Each week we're applying this to our lives, and I got to tell you, this this week is one of my favorites. And you know, I've told you now a couple times. Of for me growing up, I I had a cookie cake growing up in church. If you memorize Psalm 23, you got a cookie cake in kindergarten. Which there's not a kid alive that wouldn't do anything in their powers to memorize Psalm 23 in order for to get a cookie cake. And I got that cookie cake like a champ. And what's interesting is that this passage has never left me. Now, I didn't always grasp its meaning, but it's always been there in the back of my head. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil. There's a lot of great stuff that's just come before it. And if you want to get caught up in what that is, you have to listen to the podcast. But this morning we're talking about what it looks like to walk through some pretty dark valleys. Now, I grew up in a valley. That doesn't mean I talk like a valley girl and all that kind of stuff. But my point is, in St. Louis, we had a, well, there was a valley and literally giant hills on either side. Most people don't realize it, but there's even skiing in St. Louis, Missouri. It was that steep. And so the valley was this deep, this deep valley with hills on either side. We lived in a subdivision called Hilltop, even though we lived literally at the hill bottom. And this, is, this was our life. And so when, when it was storming a lot in St. Louis... If it rained a lot, we were in bad shape because the valley trapped all the water. And you've heard it before, but when the high school band would play, if you weren't by chance at the Friday night game, you could hear the sound of it carrying all the way through the valley because you have literally hills on all sides, and so the sound just carry. Being a young boy growing up in a valley, I have to also tell you, that you were inspired by these great mountainous hills. In E.T. style, you'd have your bike and you'd get your, you know, all your, your seven friends and you'd, you'd ride to Walmart because that's what you would do. Or you'd buy penny candy at Ben Franklin. Even though I, I, that sounds like I'm 9,000 years old, <laughs> I promise you it existed in my childhood. 
And on one such occasion, because rollerblading was all the rage, I strapped on my rollerblades and decided that I was going to do something I'd never done before. I was going to take the hill from the top all the way to the bottom of the valley, no brakes. I was going to do it. And so I did it. I took off at the top, and there's trees on all sides. You know, it's the windy roads. Windy roads, and you know, you've got you've to go out wide and then come back in, and you've got you to be on your game. I was not on my game. And I hit a car that was coming up the hill, got clipped by it, and thrown into the trees. Broke my left arm in two places, and this nice, beautiful scar on the bottom of my chin that has 32 or used to have 32 stitches in it, that's from getting hit by a car. Did they stop? No, they didn't. <laughs> Literally, no one could find me. Until, if you've ever tried to crawl on rollerblades, it's like having 45 pounds strapped to each foot, by the way. Have you ever done that before? If you've ever put them on roller skates, it's hard enough. So my left arm is broken in two places. I don't remember any of it, by the way. I have blood pouring neck and face. And I'm one arm crawling out of the woods back into the middle of the road where I just laid down and waited for somebody to find me. Who found me? My 15-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> so she's screaming for help, screaming for help, right? And that is how I got this beautiful scar on the bottom of my chin. I got rushed to the emergency room. They thought I'd been impaled on a steering wheel. I hadn't. I was just in a rollerblading accident. And they cut off my favorite T-shirt. And when you're delirious, you do stupid things. And this was one of those moments. I was in shock. And I was outraged at the doctor for ruining my shirt, which, by the way, had been completely bloodied and tattered by the accident itself. Valleys can be dangerous, can they not? Valleys can be dangerous places. You've heard a little bit about me. I've just borne my soul to you. I tried to champion the hill to the bottom of the valley. And for most of us, when we think of valleys, we think of lush, beautiful places in Switzerland. Right? Your Facebook you know, feed, every once in a while you get that picture, right, with the clouds moving across and the sky is perfectly blue and there's goats on the mountainside and the air looks crisp and you just think, is there really a place this beautiful? Look at this valley of heaven, right? And you just long to be there. When the scriptures talk about valleys and you and I walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it is not talking about the kind of valley that you and I long to go vacation at. In fact, the vast majority of reference to, to uh, valleys in Judah and in Israel are dry and barren and rocky places, the kind of places you don't want to go to, the kind of places you don't want to get stuck in. And here David the psalmist is writing Psalm 23, the, the, the poet warrior where is it that he, bought, that he fought Goliath? Many times we miss this, the Valley of Ehud, E-H-U-D. And each in, uh, army was encamped on the hillside of each, each side of this valley. And so when he talks about being afraid of walking into and through the valley, my man knows what it's like to walk in and through the valley because this is where he faced his greatest giant. God 
you're with me. You lead me through my darkest valleys. We have family that's on their way to Switzerland and Austria, Lily, right now. We're not jealous or bitter at all. And they're going to have some amazing photos. But when we, you read the word valley in the Bible, and we read of David being led through it, we are not talking about the sound of music. We're talking about those places that you and I, and if you're not in one now, at one point you will be. The place where you just aren't sure you're going to make it through. Places that you're scared of. Places that are dark and lonely. Some of you have experienced valleys in your marriages. Some of you are in one right now. Some of you have been in valleys at school, valleys at work, valleys with your kids. And sometimes it feels like it's absolutely everything to be able to hold on. And sometimes that bag that we carry with us is, the, is what I call the burden of hopelessness. Where you look and you're, you're not in the valley yet or you're, 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 you're literally having to walk into it or peer into it and, and you just don't want to have to go through it. God, is there any other way? God, can we go around it? Can we go over the top? Can I go under? Can we just ignore this altogether? I'll just stay where I am. And yet our great shepherd, sometimes for reasons we don't understand, is leading us, and he's leading us through the valley. And when we speak of these valleys, I want to get real specific for you. Because when David writes of valleys, and, and we're going we're gonna to look at a couple other examples Many times, uh, the valley, the base of the valley is only about 15 to 20 feet wide. And we think of this beautiful expanse of land. No, we're talking about in Judah, a valley many times being about the width of this wall to that wall. And as soon as you get to that edge, it starts to climb upwards, sometimes to heights of about 800 feet and so a valley was incredibly dangerous to walk in. This is why robbers would spend time creating little hiding spots. And when you walked through the valley, this is where you would get robbed. This is where you would get beaten and left for dead. If you were a sheep, there was no more dangerous place for you to travel than in a valley such as this because there's nowhere for you to go. You got a couple feet on either side and walls beginning. There's no going up. There's literally only going through. These are the kind of valleys we're talking about. It's hard for us to imagine, but they're not lush. They're dry. Oftentimes waterless. Dangerous places. If you've driven to the Blue Ridge Mountains at all, they're about northeast of here-ish. Not great with directions, so 
something like that. And you drive through all these spots, so you know what's awesome? Is they have these little areas for you to pull over, don't they? I don't know if you've ever, when you've driven through the mountains, if you've ever driven there, there are these amazing places where they, they literally have created spots for you to park so that you can pull over, get out of the car, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take in the beauty of the mountaintop. You get out your phone, and you take pictures, and you're grabbing selfies, and, you know, moms and dads are getting nervous because their kids are getting too close to the edge. But you know what you don't find ever when you get to the bottom? There are never spots to pull over and take pictures. The mountaintop moments are beautiful. They're incredible. They're breathtaking. They're awe-inspiring. You want to capture those moments, and you want to take fo- you want to do everything you can to, to distill it down and remember it and keep it and hold on to it. And the God that is the God of your mountaintop moment, moments, your, your high moments, understand something. He's also the same God. Even though you don't like it and even though you don't want it and even though you don't want to go through it, The God that is the God of your highest moments is also the same God of your lowest ones. Turn to 1 Kings 20, verse 28. I love this description about God because many times we, we wonder where God is, don't we? You're going through something difficult, or or we think God is sometimes confined or contained to these different areas, even though you would never say that, even though in your mind you'd never think that. Our actions dictate something different about the God that we serve, that God is really God over here, and when I have a lot of money, well, then I'm blessed. And we use the word blessing, and we associate it with money, as if somehow when you don't have money, you're somehow not blessed. And therefore, when, when job is going great and you got a little something bread in the bank account, somehow that equates to God's love and blessing in your life as if someone who's poor is not love or blessed. And that is not true. But we can understand now that sometimes we, can, we get into this idea that God is with me in the high top moments, but clearly he's just not with me down here. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong, God? Where are you? So Israel is waging war. And the Arameans is, you know, it's a that's who they're fighting. They just got beat. And they got beat in the high country. Or they're making a false assumption here about God because they're thinking that the God that Israel serves clearly is a God of, of the high country, right, of the mountaintops, but he can't surely also be a God of the valley. So that's where they choose to fight. And this is what God says, or the, the prophet says, the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. I'll say it again, the God who is with you in your highest moments is also the God who's with you in your lowest ones. 
He is not just a God of great moments in your life. He is a God of all of them. And that can be hard to reconcile, especially when you're going through something difficult. That can be hard to sort out when you are, you, when you are upside down in middle school and high school. It can be difficult when you're, you know, in middle school or high school and your parents don't see eye to eye with you and you think that you know what's going on. And I have bad news for you. If you're a teenager in here, your parents, 99.9% of the time know more than you do. I know that's hard to reconcile. I know it is. I know it. But it's true. You know why? Because they've had to find God in some valley moments. That's one of the reasons why. And you learn some things about who this God is that you serve. Hannah, in the scriptures, is unable to have children. Elijah is with a widow who is literally dying of starvation, she and her son. Mary and Martha lose their brother Lazarus. He dies. And Jesus knows about it and he doesn't show up in time. And Lazarus dies. The apostles are facing death, shipwreck, starvation, beating, being whipped, being persecuted, having no money, having literally no clothes, being close to drowning being bitten by poisonous snakes. Moses' mother puts her child in a basket and sends him away, literally floats him down the stream, the Nile, out of desperation to save her baby boy's life. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. I cannot imagine my sons choosing to sell one of their other brothers into slavery because they don't like him, because they're jealous of him. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den because he prayed to God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are bound with ropes and thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, I'm just getting started with people in the scriptures who have had to walk through some valleys. Those are some hard times. You know what? They don't all end the way we'd like them to end either. People die. People are confused. People are frustrated. People are disappointed. Angry, stressed, hurt, broken, hopeless. And because of that, we face the fear of walking through the valley, the what-ifs. We don't want to go in there. We don't want to go through there. 
And when you think about it, church, it makes a lot more sense that the valley is dark when the, the path that you're walking on isn't very wide, but the walls are very high. The, the, the sunlight has a hard time penetrating all the way to the bottom. And so when you're walking through this valley, it can feel very dark, and you can't really see very well where you're going, which means you have to have an ear that can hear your shepherd's voice. And it's also why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. If we're to understand the worth of the shepherd, sometimes we must realize the darkness of the valley. While that is true, I do not like it. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I have uh, several children, and one is 10 going on 11. And he did something, I think it was last week, Last week or the week prior, he hadn't done before. He slept till 10 a.m., right? Now, there's this shift that happens. You know, your kids love to get up at, like, 5 a.m., <laughs> right? And just, can we watch cartoons? You're like, I will, I'll break you in half if you come into this bedroom again. <laughs> right? Well, I'm up with the kids, and, and I'm realizing it's, like, going on 10 o'clock, and I haven't seen... Graham. So, as a good parent, after having not noticed my child for about five hours, I was like, I need to go check, I need to go investigate, make sure everything's okay here. So I go into the bedroom, and, I, and he's, you know, he's got this bunk bed, and he's, he's just, he's doing that 10-year-old stretch. Ah, he's still kind of asleep, but just don't have a care in the world, right? His eyes are still shut. I stood there and I looked at him. I had one of those moments. I wasn't being a creeper, I promise. I'm looking at my son and I can see him transforming almost before my eyes from being this little boy into the tween that he's becoming. And I thought how much I just love being a dad. And I just stood there, kind of just having one of those moments, right? I was just trying to freeze time. And I began to think of my father. Now, my dad died at 51. You've, if you've been to our church, you've heard me mention this story many times. But here I am in my... 10-year-old son's room, and I, it's rare that I just have moments that grip me still with sorrow. But out of nowhere, it did. And I'm watching my son, and I'm thinking, I, I wish 
my father could have experienced this. I wish my dad could have met his grandchildren. Throwing the baseball. Done the things. I say this to you, not because I lay awake at night, pining away over the loss of my father still, but you can see there are moments that, that take you right back. and You're right there in it, and you've lost a parent, or you've lost a mom, or you've lost a father. And maybe you've gone through that valley, and you've come out. But sometimes there are moments where <laughs> you come out one side, and then you turn around and literally feel like you just went right back in the other side again. Some of you have experienced great pain. Some of you are sitting here and you're, you're, you're dealing with relationship just trauma and drama and moms and dads and sons and daughters and people trying to get jobs and make ends meet and you're wondering, God, where are you? Why is this happening or why did this happen? And that thing, just you just carry it around with you. And the God of the Scriptures says, I will walk with you through the darkest valleys. Even if you take a trip right back through it, there is a God that will not abandon you. There's a God who has not forsaken you, and he is your great shepherd. And if you will lean into him and hear his voice, he will lead you through your darkest moments. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean you get a free pass. But he won't leave you. David writes about another valley in Psalm 84, and I, I love this. It speaks to me. I've been in this place many times. Psalm 84, 5 through 6, he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. You might read this and just think that's nice poetry. No one knows where this valley is, the valley of Baca. We don't know where it is. We've never found it. In fact, some of you have Bibles that literally say in the subtext, as you're, if, you're, if you're turning to the pages, it might say situation unknown. Meaning we have no context for this. We don't know where this valley is. But David is writing about people who are wanting to worship God. They are on pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they come to the valley of Baca, which is the valley, the word means to weep. It's the valley of weeping. 
And we don't know why they're there. We don't know how they ended up there. We have no context for it, and I think there's some intentionality to that. But the valley of weeping, that even those who are trying to worship and are giving their best to God, they don't get to somehow sidestep this valley. The valley of sorrow and the valley of pain and difficulty. And if you're not careful, you will carry around with you just a spirit of hopelessness. That this is just my lot in life. But what does David say? He says, as they pass through the valley, the valley of sorrow, that valley of pain, it says that they make it a place of springs. That the rain has covered it with pools. This place, remember the valley, the valley is dry. And yet as you pass through it, something begins to happen and something begins to shift and begins to change. That it becomes a place of springs, a place of pools. And that they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. The place of worship. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like that there are these kinds of valleys for you and for me. Seasons, places, days, moments. I don't like the fact that I know at some point in my life more are coming. I don't happen to be in one at this very present moment. But that doesn't mean that the difficulty won't come knocking. And that pain will not be gripping my house or my family ever again. doesn't mean that I don't have that guarantee. What I do have is the guarantee that I serve a God who is good and will not leave me. And that if I cling to him as, as one who is on pilgrimage of worship, the one, one who is dedicated, whose heart is turned to God, what I know is that this place of pain can be turned to a place of rejoicing and a place of hope. A place that where everything once died now can become a place again where things live. Where life is able to be sustained. John 10, 27 says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You do not have a guarantee this morning that you can always see what the next step is or what it looks like. But what I do know is that we can hear our father's voice as he's leading us. And that means that I can take one more step because he is with me. I want you to say this out loud. I, I, I think there's something to be said about just repeating this. I can take one more step because you're with me. I can take one more step because you're with me. I can take one more step because you're with me. Whatever you're going through, you can take one more step. And you know why? Not because of your strength or your ability, or because your circumstances have changed and the light now penetrates the darkness, but sometimes you can just take that one next step because 
God is by your side leading you as your good shepherd. So this morning, just take a step. Take one more step, guys. Take one more step. Keep going one more time. Pray one more time. Ask God for help one more time. Get out of bed one more time. Engage your family member one more time. Pray, ask, seek, knock. I can take that next step because you're with me. Mary and Martha, this is the kind of God that we serve. In John eleven twenty five, the verses aren't going to be up behind you, but behind me. Mary and Martha lose their brother Lazarus. And if you remember Jesus, he shows up on the scene. And what is, he, is it that he is saying to them? He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, do you trust me? Can you take one more step with me today? I know this is really difficult, and I know this is really painful, but can you take one more step with me? And Mary comes out, and she begins to weep with Jesus, and Jesus cries with her because he's not a man who is a stranger to sorrow. He's not someone who is indifferent to your pain. He weeps with her. Jesus is in the garden. He says in Matthew 26, uh, God, if it's possible, talking about his, his impending crucifixion for the sin of the world, for your sin and mine, and he, he prays to God, and the strain of it all, it says that he was sweating, and that sweat was like drips of blood. And he says, God, if... If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, God, I'm choosing to trust you. I don't want to go through this, but you are leading me. I will go where you are taking. The thief on the cross, he says, Jesus, remember me. As the other thief is, is kind of heaping insults at Jesus, you literally have three men hanging on, on wood beams, dying, breathing their last breaths. And in one person's last breath, he chooses to criticize. And he chooses to speak poorly of Jesus. And the other says, Jesus, will you remember me? When you come into your kingdom, convicted prison felon, we don't even know what he did. But he's not protesting his crimes in his last breath. He's dying the death of a criminal. Jesus, I'm in a valley. And I got no chance of getting out of my own. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, 
today. You'll be with me in paradise. Take one more step. Can you imagine hanging on a cross and being more or less invited by Jesus to trust you in this moment? That even though the, the, the ankles of your feet have nails that have been just driven through them in just a few moments, you're going to be running and walking like you've never run and walked before. But I need you to take that next step. Trust me. We're going to walk through this valley. Your, your valley, we're going, we're going through the end of it right now. We're going to come out on the other side. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive. See, David knows it well in Psalm 23 when he says that even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I fear no evil. morning, I want to encourage you today. I want to remind you that even though you're going through something difficult, and even though you're going through something painful, it doesn't mean that somehow you're at fault. It doesn't mean that somehow God has abandoned you. But what I want to invite you to do today is to literally humble your heart before your almighty God and listen for His voice today. Because you have a God who will lead you through it. And my promise isn't today that somehow you will be prayed for and with a snap of a finger, your life is forever changed and the circumstances around it. But what I do know is that we serve a God who is good, a God that is faithful, and that even in the lowest moments, He is still God to you and I. And I am imploring you this morning to continue trusting to can you take taking that one more step with him and my hope and prayer is that you're going to come out to pastures on the other side because he is also the God who leads you beside still waters and he is the God who leads you to green pastures and he is also the God who restores your soul So this morning, what you may need to do right now in your chapter and in your season is cling to your shepherd. To hear his voice. And let him sustain you. And let him take you through it.
going to pray for us. But church, here's what I want to invite you to do. We've got some people designated that are going to come down here in just a moment to be available to pray for you. And when you're going through something, we always want to be prayerful, but when you're going through something, prayer is not your last ditch effort. It is the first thing that we go to. It is the first thing that allows our ears to be pricked and, and, and our heart pierced that we might hear our Father's voice louder and clearer His way. Take a step here. And so please, I'm inviting you, stick around and, and, and let someone pray with you. It doesn't matter if you know them. You can give enough explanation or little context or no context and just come down front and make yourself available to pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who leads us. That even though we walk through the darkest valleys, we can fear no evil for you are with us. It is your rod and your staff that comfort us, Lord. God, you bring comfort to us. And this morning we're asking that you would do that. Lord, would you lead us through the valleys today? We trust you. We put our faith in you.